Well, so we are talking this morning about vulnerability. Last week, uh, Pastor Ross came uh, and uh, through the live stream, he was speaking and introducing sort of the next phase in our series on discipleship that we've been going through. And it's a little uh, template that has been on Ross's heart for a lot of years, uh, and it's, we're calling it the surrender solution. Ross talked a lot about surrender uh, last week, the giving up of our own will, the giving up of what we want to do, and instead releasing all of that and asking God, what do you want to do? And we're going to be talking today about vulnerability. So vulnerability is a lot like a lot of the things that go on in the kingdom. It's misunderstood, mislabeled a lot of times, and, and if you're doing it well, I said this about a lot of things uh, over the past couple weeks. If you're doing this well, it looks to the world like you're failing, right? The things of God, when you do them well, when you act in the way and you respond to the Holy Spirit in the way that God wants us to and instructs us to, it's contrary to the way that we normally want to operate. It's contrary to everything that we're told to do. And so it looks like we're not winning. It looks like we're maybe getting run over. It looks like, and this is the way vulnerability gets labeled, it looks like we're weak. Vulnerability so often is, is made synonymous with weakness. But hopefully as we're looking through the scripture today and as we're talking about it, we're going to highlight and sort of flip that script and highlight how vulnerability is actually the core strength that everything else in the kingdom is built upon. Okay, so we're going to start in Luke uh, chapter 7 verses 36 through 50. We're going to tell this little story about Jesus coming into uh, dinner at the house of a Pharisee. Bless you. When one of the Pharisees, and I don't think this, that we're projecting this, but if you have your notes, you can follow along. And if you don't have your notes, just it's story time with Darren Shaw. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. Can you picture Jesus just reclining at the table? That's, that's pretty, pretty boss. That's a boss move. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. And Jesus answered him, and I love this, right? Because the Pharisee didn't say this out loud. It says, the Pharisee said to himself, if this guy were a prophet, he would totally know who this lady is and he would not be doing this. And Jesus, not hearing anything out loud, speaks to him and says, Simon, I have something to tell you right? So if you were a prophet, he would know what's going on. Hey, Simon, I heard that. And, uh, and I have something to tell you. If I were the Pharisee, I would be changing my tune a little bit, probably. Uh, tell me, teacher, Simon said. And Jesus said, two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose it's the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Jesus said, you have judged correctly. I love that he says, not you have answered correctly, but you have judged correctly. Bringing up what's been in his heart this whole time. 
Like, you were judging incorrectly a moment ago when you didn't think I could hear you. Now, out loud, you're judging correctly. I love that. Jesus is so cool and clever. And then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. You didn't even give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. And therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then she turned to the woman and she said, your sins are forgiven. Praise God. Now, the main contrast I think we need to draw here and take a look at is not, it doesn't begin with the things that are happening outward. Like with everything in our lives, it begins with the things that are happening inside. Everything that's happening, I don't think that's even too bold a statement. Everything that's happening in our lives has something to do with the condition of our heart, has something to do with our posturing before the Lord and the way that we are open or closed off to him. Now, this, this woman, she's approaching out of humility, a heart that understands she's not in charge of everything. She is powerless against some things, and she knows her place in relationship with the Father, right? And because she's approaching with humility, she's able to be vulnerable, the Pharisee is approaching this with pride. And because he's operating out of a heart filled with pride, he's also operating out of actions that are full of judgment. So the posture of their hearts before God is driving their actions toward him and towards others. So in this passage, the woman's vulnerability comes, it's interesting, the woman's vulnerability is actually spurred by Jesus' vulnerability. Jesus went first in all of this. So many times we feel like, well, if I'm vulnerable, that means that I'm going first. I'm the one who's giving up first. As Christians, that's never the case. Because as believers in Jesus, we understand if I'm giving up my right to be right, if I'm giving up my right to be guarded, it's only because I saw it done by Jesus. I know how to do it because Jesus did it first. He He gave himself over, not knowing if it was going to be reciprocated, not knowing if it was going to be received. But whatever was going to happen, his determination was, I'm just going to be open with everything that I have. I'm going to give you everything that I have. I'm going to be honest and truthful with you. I'm going to receive everything that you are. That's vulnerability. And that vulnerability and Jesus' openness and, and, and his forgiveness of sins, what he offers to her spurs her on, and she's able to be vulnerable, not knowing if crying and you know, washing his feet with tears, which honestly is a little gross, if, not knowing if crying and washing his feet with tears, pouring oil on his feet, not knowing if she's going to be welcome in the house, she's putting herself out there to suffer some judgment, Right? But Jesus' vulnerability moves her, and then her vulnerability moves Jesus. And what does he do in response? He comes to her defense. Isn't that what he does for us? He comes to her defense. She is open and, and just out there, and 
not offering her own defense against this judgment coming from the Pharisee, Jesus sees that and comes to, de- comes to her defense for her, protects her. He forgives her sins. She's already forgiven, but here at the end, even just so that she knows without a doubt, he tells the Pharisee the story, and then he looks at her and says, your sins have been forgiven. And he justifies her before others. She doesn't need to prove who she is. She's come just bearing everything. And as she does, it elicits this response from Jesus, not, maybe not even so that she knows, but so that everybody else knows. She's good with me. She's good with me. We're fine. She's justified before others. She doesn't have to do that for herself. We don't do that for ourselves. Jesus justifies us. Jesus brings us into right standing with the Father. There's nothing in us that can do that. It's only Jesus. So it's, I think it's safe to assume that this was a day of tremendous spiritual growth for this lady. (laughs) Tremendous spiritual growth. And that leads us to the first point that we want to get to today about vulnerability. And that is this. Spiritual growth only happens in the context of vulnerability. Spiritual growth only happens in the context of vulnerability. I'm going to show, this is the thing I never, I told my English students, never do this, but I'm going to do this right now. Never open up an essay with the Oxford English Dictionary defines blah, blah, blah as blah, blah. Never do that. That's boring for me as a teacher and a grader, but I'm going to do it for you, and it's going to be exciting and totally different. (laughs) The Oxford English Dictionary defines vulnerability this way. I'm being vulnerable with you right now. I know that this may just be just a stone sinking in the water, but vulnerability is the quality or the state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed, either physically or emotionally. And don't we all hate having to do it? <laughs> I mean, the, the, the quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being harmed physically, which hurts, but emotionally, which hurts in ways that don't always heal well. The healing is a harder process that you can't really see, right? It doesn't sound fun. This doesn't sound fun. It doesn't sound healthy. And if we're real honest, it doesn't sound smart to do this. It doesn't sound smart at all. Opening yourself up to the possibility of being hurt it runs contrary to just even the idea of being healthy and, 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 and growing. But we have to remember that with all of these things we're talking about, the kingdom of God is upside down from the kingdom of the world. Or maybe more to the point, the, kingdom of the, the world's kingdom is upside down from the kingdom of God, right? God has a certain way that he wants to do it, and, and, and it's... It's victorious and successful here because it runs counter to the ways that we choose to do things, which as we know scripturally always end in death. God has a different plan for us and that includes vulnerability. His thoughts are different and better than our thoughts. And our spirits grow and strengthen in very much the same way that our bodies do. Like if you wanna grow muscle, you gotta tear muscle and it grows back stronger. If you break a bone, when you get that bone reset and it grows back, it's stronger at the point of the break, right? And as far as our, our, our will and our emotions go, when everything is easy, 
our will never has to grow. Our emotion, our, we never grow in our emotional capacity because they've never been tested. So it's tearing, it's breaking, and it's testing and strain that cause us to grow. And nothing causes tearing and breaking and strain like opening yourself up. So just like that woman does before Jesus, we humble ourselves before God and we open ourselves up and we're vulnerable with him. And in response to that, he shapes us. He builds us up. He restores us. And actually, God says this himself in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 57, 15. A message from the high and towering God who lives in eternity, whose name is holy. And this is God saying this. I live in the high and holy places, but also with the low-spirited, the spirit crushed. And what I do is I put a new spirit in them. I get them up and on their feet again. I get them up and on their feet again. That's what I do for those who are spirit crushed, for those who have been through the ringer. If they'll open themselves up to me, what I do is I put a new spirit in them and I get them up and I get them on their feet again. Our vulnerability produces spiritual growth. That's why the woman grows in this story and the Pharisee may be not so much, I don't know, because pride doesn't help us grow. Pride actually puts up a wall to God and denies him access to our hearts. When we're operating in pride, what we're saying is, I've got this, God. I can fix all of this in my own strength. I don't need you. I don't need other people. You know, as as Paula was sharing with us earlier today, it's so hard to ask for help. So hard to ask for help because we feel, we've been taught that if we ask for help, that we're weak, we're vulnerable, we're putting someone out, we're being a burden to someone, or that our problem is insignificant and why there are so much bigger things in the world. Why, why would I trouble somebody with this? And all of those are forms of pride. All of those are forms of us putting up a guard, putting up a facade. We, we try to fix everything. We try and be self-sufficient. We say that we're in need of nothing. And in an effort to keep ourselves from embarrassment or shame or pain, we stay guarded off and we pretend that everything is okay. So King David talked about how futile that way of life is, okay? In Psalm 51, this is in the aftermath of everything that happened with Bathsheba, and he did some bad stuff, and he closed himself off to God for a while because he was ashamed. He was embarrassed. His, in his pride, he was thinking, oh, God, this is not the way a king should act. I've really screwed up. I don't even know if I can be forgiven. I I love David because a lot of times David feels the way that I think I feel sometimes. Like, I'm on the highest mountain. Everything is great. And three minutes later, oh, my gosh, this is the worst day I've ever had. This is so terrible. How could God ever love me? Oh, my gosh, my God loves me. It's amazing. Oh, my oh Lord, I'm so sorry. I disappointed you. Oh, everything is terrible. And he goes on this emo- emotional roller coaster a lot. And, man, I feel that way. I feel that way. I feel like, God, today is the best day ever. And the following day, oh, today is the But in the aftermath of all these things that he did that were against what God wanted him to do and and hurting people and running away from God for a little bit, he says this, going through the motions doesn't please you. 
a flawless performance is nothing to you. I learned to God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart-shattered lives ready for love don't for a moment escape God's notice. I love the message translation because it, it, he phrases things in ways that I think, oh, wow, I've never heard it this way before. I learned to God worship when my pride was shattered. I learned to connect with the Lord when I finally got beyond myself and looking good, and having it all together. When I was finally able to be open, that's when I learned to worship, is what David is saying. And the heart that's been shattered is actually ready to receive the love of God in a way that the heart that feels like it's got it all together just can't. Heart-shattered lives who are ready for love don't for a moment escape God's notice. So if that's you this morning, just brief side note, if that's you this morning, if you're feeling that way, my heart is shattered this morning. Or maybe it's not completely shattered, but there's some cracks in there. I have, I've got some things that I'm working through. If that's you this morning, I want you to see this here. Don't think for a moment that you've escaped God's notice. Don't think for a moment that God doesn't see what you have going on in here and that he's ready to do what he does and get a new spirit within you and get you up and on your feet and running again. He's ready for that. Like Adrian was mentioning earlier, I'm ready. I'm, I've been speaking. Just gotta listen. Just gotta open yourself up and receive. So David had to stop hiding and guarding himself and instead he had to be open and vulnerable to God so that God could come in and restore some health to their relationship. That's what vulnerability does. Being vulnerable is at the core of all healthy relationships. And because it's good for all relationships, as it relates to what we're talking about lately, it's good for discipleship. Because discipling is just a relationship. It's relational. It's following Jesus and, and walking with others to follow Jesus. It's all relational. So without vulnerability, we can't, we can't deal with anything in a person's history, a person's heart, somebody's will, their mind, their emotions. We can't touch any of that because there's a wall there that's keeping us from it. Christianity can only be practiced by permission because it's a relationship. God, God doesn't ever force us to do anything. He doesn't force us. He wants us to be in relationship so that he can speak into our lives and we can say, that sounds like a great idea, God. I think I'll do that. He's not gonna force us to do something. He's going to speak to us about what his will is and then he lets us decide if that's what we wanna do or not. And if, if it turns bad because we decided not to, he's right there again to say, okay, let's try this again. Let me speak this to you again. I've not gone anywhere. I've not stopped loving you. Open yourself up to me and let's move forward. <sighs> man, I'm speaking this this morning, and then in my head, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I didn't do that yesterday. Wow. Oh, thank you, Lord, for teaching. Uh, vulnerability is, is honesty. And it was a, I was mentioning this yesterday in men's group, yesterday morning. If we're not vulnerable to other people, then other people don't really know us. They know who we've told them we are. They know the person we've shown them, but they don't know me right? If, if I always act like I've got everything together, everything's fine, if my, if my blanket response to how are you doing is fine, everything's great, everything's awesome, I'm, I'm doing 
fantastic. Everything is awesome. If it's that, you know that's not the truth because I'm human, right? I'm a person. You know that there are fires going on. There are troubles. There are struggles. All of that because we're human. And if I never let you see any of that, then how are you going to minister to my needs? How are you going to minister to my hurts if I never show you that I have any? If I'm presenting to you a Darren that's a Sunday morning Darren, then you never know who Monday through Saturday Darren is, and you have no idea how to walk with me, how to minister to me, how to relate to me. And even though it's, you know, even though you might want to, I would be keeping you at arm's length so that we can never actually be close the way that God wants us to be close, right? Now, rather than, and, and, and if I'm doing that, if I'm presenting to you, and we see this all the time, like on our social media, right? I was mentioning yesterday, I don't want to be, again, the get off my lawn guy who complains about social media, but uh, one of the things that it does for us is that it trains us in how to put our best life forward and hide all the other stuff, right? Now, granted, social media is not the best place always to show that you've got some flaws because there are a lot of people who don't know you who are like, well, here, let me tell you more flaws that you have. I'm going to comment on that, and then I'm just going to be you know, out, outside. I'm not checking that for a while. I'm just going to let that stew. Uh, but but what, we've, what we've done here, our culture has trained us that, that it's easier to put up that front. And not only that, but that it's acceptable. That that's what we should be doing. And instead of becoming a person, it trains us to become a persona. So instead of being a person who has real hurts and real needs and real fears and real struggles, instead of being that, and victories and good things, right? And it's not all struggles. But instead of being a well-rounded person, I've been trained by the world to become a persona and to only let you see the things that I think are good. To only let you see the things that aren't challenging. So it, it's expected that we do that, but it negates the deep, fulfilling relationships that God wants us to have. And even though it presents a really cool front on the outside, on the inside, it's, it leaves us empty, which sounds a lot like we're going to look at Matthew 22, uh, 23, 27 real quick, because this is what Jesus said was his main criticism about the Pharisees. They were personas. You're hypocrites. You're like tombs that are painted white. Outside, they look fine, but inside, they're full of dead people's bones and all kinds of filth. If we will make a practice of being vulnerable, letting people in, letting people speak into and see things and walk with us through things, then we end up, we clean out the tomb, right? We clean it out of the filth. We clean it out of the dead bones. And instead, there's resurrection. And we become fully alive. And that's what, that's what God has for us. That's the plan that he has in mind for our relationships, right? Um, deep fellowship is created when we practice vulnerability, and vulnerability is actually something we have to practice. It doesn't come naturally. I mean, if it does come naturally for you, that's awesome, and I need for you to teach a class on it uh, weekly, if you could. That would be tremendous, because I need help. But vulnerability for most of us humans doesn't come naturally. We, and, and, and even more, we've been taught that it's weak. We've been taught that, oh, you don't want to let people see all your stuff. What will they think of you? They, 
how can they, how can God love you? How can people love you if they see the stuff that's really back there? That sounds a lot like the enemy. That sounds a lot like the, the, the devil tempting people to stay far away from God and from one another. So human nature is to protect ourselves from harm, right? We don't want to hurt. We, we, we don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want things to be awkward. But in order to grow, as we mentioned before, there's got to be tearing. There's got to be breaking. There's got to be stress and strain. Our spirits, our bodies grow as a response to those things. And nothing creates those, again, like being open and being vulnerable, taking a risk. So part of discipleship is creating an environment of humility and vulnerability. And that includes encouraging one another to be open about struggles, encouraging each other to be open about temptations and about sins. And that's something we don't talk a lot about in the modern church. But I'm pretty sure that sin still exists. I mean, I think it's still out there. We just kind of don't talk about it very much. But should we be talking about our struggles and our sins? Absolutely we should. We absolutely should because that's, I mean, that's, that's part of our human experience. If we're going to be open with one another and sharing things with one another and we want to be complete and be whole, we can't just leave that part out of it. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other, right? That's an important point. I mean, yes, talk about your sins, but then do something about it as well. That's kind of helpful. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Great power and wonderful results. Now, who in here is righteous? Who has been made righteous? If that's you, raise your hand. If you, if you have Jesus in here, if your life is being lived for him, then I got to tell you, he's made you righteous. Don't think about, well, a righteous person, maybe that's not me. If you've asked Jesus to come into your heart, if you're following him, it's not about what you did or didn't do. Jesus made you righteous. That was, that was part of the Pharisees' problem. He was looking at the life that the woman had led and was judging her as unrighteous, which made him unrighteous, rather than accepting the free gift that Jesus was offering of forgiveness of sins, of being made in right standing with the Father. And so the, the effect of the fervent prayer of the righteous person is powerful and, and produces wonderful results. That righteous person just may be you for somebody else. So the power of sin is how it creates shame. It creates fear. It creates isolation. That's its power. We, live as, we, we, we do something that God doesn't want us to do. We feel guilty about it. We isolate from other people. We're afraid that it'll get out in the open. That's the power of it, is that it makes us embarrassed. It makes us run away, yeah. right? So a culture of vulnerability and openness allows everything to be brought out into the light. And when you bring something out into the light, sin no longer has any power. It's all out there. What, I mean, the worst part's over, <laughs> you know, like in a roller coaster. Nate and I were talking about roller coasters earlier, and we don't like them as much as we used to when we were young and really adventurous. But the worst part about a roller coaster is that first drop. That first drop, the Iron Rattler in uh, Fiesta, Texas, in San Antonio. Woo, I know, Nate, right? Yes, the Iron Rattler. I mean, honestly, for me, it's, it's the, the slow crawl up to the first drop. That's really the problem. But... 
But that's our vulnerable, that, I mean, that's vulnerability right there, getting on the cart and starting up. Yes, I'm worried about expressing this to someone, but once I do, hey, brother, let me tell you kind of one, one of the things that I'm thinking about that I just kind of need to let, let you know about. <laughs> done. The hard part's done. Now you're just sitting there. You're just sitting there, and the cart's carrying you, and that's what this is. Culture of vulnerability and openness allows everything to be brought out into the light. The hard part's over, and sin has lost its power. Now, saying that, I need to mention, be wise, be wise. Not everybody needs to tell everybody everything, right? Read the room, know who you can tell and who you can't, know who wants to hear it and who doesn't, right? A couple of guidelines, right? You shouldn't tell everything to everyone. That's not prudent, that's not wise. But everybody in here should have someone that they can tell anything to. Every one of us. You don't need to confess everything to everybody but you need to have at least one person who's willing to hear everything, right? Find somebody who's spiritually mature. Find somebody, if you've got sensitive things to, to discuss, maybe find somebody who's the same gender as you. Um, find somebody who, <laughs> this is really important, find somebody who doesn't ask for all the juicy details, right? <laughs> find somebody who's not like overly interested in all your details, <laughs> really? You did that? Tell me more. Yeah. Don't, that's a red flag. Don't, don't, don't confess everything to that person, right? Ooh. Somebody grabs the popcorn and starts eating. Find somebody who doesn't want all the juicy details because then you will have probably found somebody who is trustworthy. Here's a great tip. Ask the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead that person into your life if you don't have one already, okay? Um, so earlier we defined vulnerability as the quality or the state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed, either physically or emotionally. I want to read something to you uh, from, that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, because um, it seems like it would be counterintuitive, this whole definition, counterintuitive to growth, but it's actually really important for relationships. Being vulnerable is the most courageous trait that we can have. It's not weakness, it's courage. Uh, this is what Paul wrote to the, to the Corinthians. My friends at Corinth, our hearts are wide open to you, and we speak freely, holding nothing back from you. If there's a block in our relationship, it's not with us, for we carry you in our hearts with great love. Yet you still withhold your affections from us. So I speak to you as our children. Make room in your hearts for us as we have done for you. So one of the things I love about that passage is that Paul is laying it all out there. He said, I, my heart is open to you. I'm not holding anything back. I'm just asking for you to open up to me so that we can really know one another, so that we can really walk together, so that, so that there won't be any room for sin to have any power in any of our relationship. Open up to me. That's what Paul is doing with the Corinthians. He's, he's pouring his heart out. He's pouring his heart out. He's giving it all. No guarantee that it's going to be received. No assurance that it's going to be returned. He's just pouring it out there and imploring them, make room in your hearts for me just like I've done for you. It's what Jesus did on the cross throughout his whole ministry and then leading up to the cross when he, in that action, in that scourging, in that pain, in that suffering, he's basically saying to us, I've opened up my heart to you. 
make room in your hearts for me as I've done for you. It's all I'm asking. And this is like Paul was asking the Corinthians, like Jesus was asking all of us. This is what God is asking of us in this season, specifically today. Say, make room in your hearts for one another. That's what he's asking for us to do with him and then with each other. He's asking us to take a risk and not wait for another person to make the first move, but to realize that Jesus already made that first move. And he showed us the way and he's given us the power and the courage to be able to be open. 